How would you describe God in a single word? How would you finish the sentence, God is? You might say God is spirit. That would certainly be a biblical answer. It's true that God is spirit, but that's hard to visualize. So it's not a very good description of God. You might say God is love, and that is certainly biblical. It's a favorite definition of God. But there are conflicting ideas as to what love really is or how it should act in given situations. So even love leaves us in the dark. So how about God is light? Now, it's true that light is a bit abstract, but if we think about it, it may actually be the best single-word description of God. And it just so happens to be the way John describes God in our text for today, giving us a glimpse of the light, the lie, and the life. We're in 1 John Ready for verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, okay? So what is light? We all know what it is. Or do we? Actually, physicists can't agree on the nature of light. Newton said it was a particle. Huygens said it was a wave. And it appears to have properties of both, but we really don't know what it is. We do know, however, what it does. Light shines. It's something we can see. And it's the nature of light to reveal itself. It can't contain itself. It has to shine. Unless, of course, it's an invisible wavelength. We're not going into that. Light is self-revealing. It's glorious. It's brilliant. And it's awesome when it pierces the darkness. That's a pretty good picture of God. He is the self-revealing one who is glorious, and who has pierced the darkness. In fact, in the Old Testament, God sometimes revealed himself to man in the form of light. He revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush that was not consumed. To the children of Israel, he appeared as a consuming fire on the mountaintop and as a pillar of fire by night. He appeared to Ezekiel as a being that glowed with fire all around and within. And the prophet Isaiah told the people who walked in darkness that they would see a great light and the light would shine on them. So God is the one who shines on us like a great light. And in doing so, he does something else that light does because Light exposes. Light enables us to see things as they really are. You know, if something is beautiful, we spotlight it. If it's not so beautiful, 
we dim the lights. If a room is dirty, keep the lights down low and it'll look clean. But if you really want it to be clean, turn the lights up so you can see what needs to be done. Well, God is the light that exposes. He exposes beauty and that which is not so beautiful. In fact, John had this to say in his gospel. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You know, God exposes our sinful deeds. He not only reveals himself, he reveals us and our true condition. So as light, God is judge. But before he judges us, he does something else light does. He offers guidance. Now, years ago, we visited a, a lighthouse, and the light it could project was amazing, an arrangement of prisms and lenses could transform a single flame into a focused beacon that could be seen for miles. Now, i got to admit, some years before, the prisms had been replaced by an electric strobe light. But even in a day of GPS navigation, there's still a need for a lighthouse. And that reminds me of a story. The captain of a military ship received a message that he was on a collision course and would have to turn. He responded that he was an admiral in the U.S. Navy and that he wasn't about to change course. The sender would have to alter his course. The message came back that even though the sender was only an ensign, the admiral would have to change course. The ensign was stationed on a lighthouse. <laughs> you know, a lighthouse is there to prevent a crash, and to ignore it or to challenge it is to invite disaster. Likewise, ignoring or challenging the light from above dooms one to failure. God exposes our condition and the true condition of the world because he wants us to follow his guidance. He knows what's ahead, and he's revealed the safe course for us to follow. For as the psalmist said, and we sing every Sunday, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God wants to guide us through life. He is the self-revealing one who has shined into our dark world, exposing the true condition of mankind and offering to guide us to our eternal destination. I think that's a pretty good description of God and what he does. But John goes a step further and declares that there is no darkness in God. You know, darkness and light cannot coexist. When light comes on, the darkness disappears. And since darkness is a symbol of evil, John says there is no darkness in God at all. No shadowy places, no dark corners, no hidden recesses. 
Sadly, that's not always true of those who claim to be in fellowship with the God who is light. In fact, some are more characterized by what John calls the lie than the light. Let's read on. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know, some who claim to be in fellowship with a God who is light walk in darkness, but that's that's impossible. It's impossible to be in fellowship with the light and to be walking in darkness at the same time. If you're walking in the light, there will be no darkness in your path. Now, you may still stumble occasionally, especially if you get older, but you'll not be in the dark. You'll not be in the dark. And John says, if you say you're in fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, you are a liar. That's a harsh word, but no other will do. If you claim on Sunday to be in fellowship with God, but ignore him on Monday, you are a liar. You may be in close proximity to the light. You may be getting near to God, but you're not with him. You're still in the dark. And if you're in the dark, you're probably keeping something between yourself and God. Some sin, some selfish desire is blocking the light. Or you may be trying to use God like a light switch, turning him off and on whenever you want. But that's not fellowship with God. If you turn off the light, darkness fills the room. And if you quit reading the word, quit studying it, quit listening when it's taught, the light will go out and you'll find yourself back in the dark. And believe it or not, it is possible to just ignore the presence of the light, to pretend that God is not there, to live as if he doesn't exist. It is possible to go through life ignoring the light. Millions of people do it. As you already noted in John's Gospel, most men love darkness more than light. They don't want the light exposing their deeds. They would rather stumble through life in the dark than give up what they want. And that's a choice they can make. But we can't. Not if we're going to be in fellowship with God. To claim to be in fellowship with the light while walking in darkness is a lie. It cannot be done. We're either in the light or out of it. We can't be in both. Furthermore, closing our eyes to the light blinds us to the beauty of life. We lose what an article from Touchstone I read this week while on the elliptical called Enchantment. The article said, we who live in the West have lost enchantment because we no longer see God at work. 
Before the Renaissance and Enlightenment, people experienced God in everyday life. They, they saw him at work in nature and in their own lives. They may not have fully understood the nature of God or how he did what he did, but they knew something more was at work in the physical world than they could see. They were enchanted by the beauty of what God had created and by the expressions of love and beauty that surrounded them. And that was true even when the darkness of sin and man's demonic desire to take what had been given to others broke through. But today, people have become disenchanted. Science and technology have made our lives better, and as a result, most see no need to look beyond the world they think they've created and can control. So they never see the God who is above us and with us, working in everything that we do see. The modern world has even lost what sense of enchantment the ancients had when they created mythological gods and worshipped them on an acropolis. And when Paul was in Athens, his spirit was provoked when he saw a city full of idols and he confronted the philosophers on the Areopagus, which, as we saw while in Athens, was literally in the shadow of the Acropolis. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. The men of Athens were brilliant. And we benefit from their thinking even today through the democratic process they pioneered. And they understood there was something or someone above them, even while groping in the dark. Well, Paul tried to tell them about Jesus and the light he brought to earth so men would no longer have to grope for God in darkness. But when he spoke of the resurrection, something they couldn't bring themselves to believe in, they dismissed him, and all but one of them chose to stay in the dark. Today, the vast majority choose to live in darkness and no longer even grope for God. They live 
in an economically prosperous and technologically advanced world that they think they've created and see no need to go looking for a God they can't see. Without seeing him and sensing him and living daily in the beauty of his presence and grace, life is dark and ugly and without any real hope. Because as Solomon makes clear in Ecclesiastes, life lived under the sun without seeing that which is above the sun is vain and disappears at death along with all that we've accomplished. Jesus brought light into the world, but many, even in the church, still live in darkness. They don't see God at work in the world or in their lives. And they don't see him because they aren't looking for him or expecting to find him outside of a church building. But he's there. And even as the Greek poets understood, in him we live and move and have our being. Or as Paul made clear in Colossians, Christ delivered us from the domain of darkness so we could share in the inheritance of the saints in light, enjoying life in a world created by him and held together by him. If we walk in darkness throughout the week without intentionally looking for the presence and activity of the God we claim to worship on Sunday, we're not only missing out on the abundant life Jesus came to give us, we are living a lie. Christ wants to be involved in everything we do. And if we keep our eyes focused on him, we'll see him at work in our daily life. And together, we will live the life he died to make possible for us. He speaks of that life in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In the introduction to this letter, we discovered that John was sharing with us that which he had heard and seen and beheld and handled concerning the word of life. And he was sharing it so we could enter into fellowship with him and with all the saints. He wanted us to share in the experience of hearing and seeing the living word, of listening to his voice and seeing him at work in our lives and in the lives of others. And here he makes clear that if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we really do have fellowship with one another. We enter into open and honest and beautiful relationships with others who have heard and seen the light and who are walking the same path as we. Now, fellowship is an important part of church life. We need to spend time with flesh and blood people who share our love 
for the light, who share our goals and interests in life, who will be our companions on the journey through life. That's why the church is here. That's why we don't just mail out sermons and little packets of bread and grape juice. We want you to come together. God wants us to come together, to share, to celebrate, to make friends, to fellowship. But to do that, you've got to be walking in the light every day. You can't be living a lie, basking in the light on Sunday and walking in darkness, ignoring God on Monday. Because if you're walking in darkness and your deeds are deeds of darkness, you won't want to be around Christians, especially during the week. You won't want the lie in your life to be seen. But if you're walking in the light every day, you've got nothing to hide because the light of God has already exposed the sin in your life and dealt with it. He has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You're a sinner, saved by grace, just like everyone else who has accepted him as their Lord and their Savior. Indeed, a life lived in the light is beautiful because you have nothing to hide. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. The shadows are gone. The dark corners have been flooded with light. And the deeds of darkness have been replaced by works of righteousness. You're on the right path. You know where you're going. And you're looking for and seeing the hand of God in everything that happens. That's what God, who is light, offers to us. As Peter put it, God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous So if you're living a lie, give it up. Let the light of God shine into your life, expose your sin, and forgive it. And then keep your eyes focused on him and let him become the guiding light of your life. There is no good reason to stay in the dark. Come to the light. To shining for you. Let's stand.